This is Only We Matter Podcast with Jacqueline and Brandon, bringing generations together. Welcome back to Only We Matter Podcast with Jacqueline and Brandon, and we um, have been feeling, I'm not sure, Jacqueline, over, I mean, maybe it's been a little while since since a break for you, but but over Christmas, let's think back a little bit and and. Did you have some time off? Did you feel rested from 2020? Or are you recovering yet? Are you still? What's going on? <laughs> I think those are great questions. Because, you know, I actually, last night as I was prepping for this morning, I kept thinking, did I rest? Did I actually get a rest? Like the two weeks that I had been counting on and looking for and moving towards. Yeah were they restful? And, you know, um, I think that there were moments of rest and I think, um, I tried to take those moments of rest, but was it a big chunk of rest? No, I will say not because I worked like right up until Christmas, like Christmas Eve noon. Hmm. And then I worked almost right up until new year's Eve day noon again. And so you know, there wasn't, it wasn't like I got a week of vacation off. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm learning that because, because of what my, my jobs are, because of what I do and I juggle and I'm an entrepreneur and things don't, you know, nothing happens if I'm not steering the train, you know, I'm keeping it on the track that holidays holidays are just not going to be that often but if I can remember to take time so whether it's every day I'm going to take like a two or three hour period and I'm just going to whatever it it looks like for me to rest or to Hmm. you know just do that replenishment to finish the day, whatever that looks like. I think I need to be okay with that. And what's so exciting is that uh, like our guest coming up is Mark Buchanan. And he really talks about, about that rhythm. And he talks about not being, um, not having to have it all together and perfection and um, you know, maybe achieve 90% of, two or three things you're working on. Um, but, but you don't have to be 90% at everything. There are, there are some things that you just have to get done and you can do a C plus or maybe a B minus on, I don't know. What about you, Brandon? Yeah. I feel like that's a hard, that's a hard word for me to, to, to process well, over the years. It has been, I feel like I've had to, I've had to face that since my high school days, even hmm. where, you know, I was on a roll student and, wanted things to be perfect. Oh, and, you're one of those. Okay. But I remember my, I remember my first glimpse of having to do like, I was never C minus. That doesn't exist in my life. But, um, <laughs> Welcome but to the, my world. I remember one of the first moments where I was paired or I was in a group setting in, in learning where I wasn't the smartest person in the group. In fact, I was probably the least smartest person in the group. And they felt, I could sense they felt like they had to carry me. I know that feeling because I, I felt like I did it all through my grade school life. I was like, I wanted to partner with people, not because they were smart, but because I wanted to be their friend and I'll just do the work. It's fine. And then all of a sudden I was in a group with much smarter people and I felt like, oh no, they feel like they have to carry me. 
and I wasn't very cool. So they gained nothing from that. <laughs> but I feel like that's something that that's been profound for me. And, and so I, I know Mark's work a little bit from my early days of pastoring and, uh, and it's really been helpful for me. And I, and I, and I hope by bringing him on today to have some of these conversations that I've been having with his books, uh, and his work over the past decade or so, and, uh, and bring everyone else into that conversation here today. So Mark and his wife, Cheryl live in Cochrane, Alberta. He is the uh, an associate professor of pastoral theology at Ambrose Seminary. They have three adult children. Mark is a pastor, teacher, and speaker. He enjoys scuba diving, fishing, and motorcycles. He is the author of 10 books, including most recently the novel David, Rise, book one of trilogy on the life of King David, and also has written God Walk, Moving at the Speed of Your Soul. Mark, welcome to Only We Matter. Brandon, Jacqueline, very Great pleasure to be with well, you. Well, Mark, I'm so excited. So I'm reading your biography in just preparation for our interview. And I'm going to read directly from what is written on the uh, Ambrose site about you. It says, okay. <clears throat> the need to write woke up in me when I was 12 and grew into something fierce and wild and holy. All my books came have come from this. They are things birthed as much as created. Okay, I love this coming up line. I became a pastor because God has a sense of humor. I never intended it, but he saw something in me neither I nor anyone else saw and drew me down a path that has been the hardest and best of all. I want to die like Jacob, leaning on my staff, worshiping God with all my heart and blessing the generations that come after me. I would like as my epitaph, Epitaph to say, he served God in his generation, especially, I'd like it to be true. Shalom. Quote, unquote. Hmm. Okay, Mark, that was crazy. When I read that, I said to Brandon, have you read this? This is <laughs> like, I don't even know which line I like best actually out of it. But I do love that you became a pastor because God has a sense of humor. So just yeah. give us like this quick snapshot behind all of that. Yeah, Jacqueline, I became a Christian when I was 21. It was a, a radical conversion from reading scripture. And, but when I became a Christian, I had no sense of that this was going to lead to some pastoral or, or, or missionary vocation. I wanted to write, I wanted to teach, which is, virtually what I do now, but uh, when I was eight years in the faith, uh, quite out of the blue, a church called me up and asked if I would consider being the youth pastor, or I think associate pastor with the primary duties in youth, and the associate was, they wanted to kind of throw at me anything that the, the senior pastor didn't want to do, um, and honestly, I was so ill-prepared for that not only in terms of training or equipping, but in terms of, of any kind of mental preparation. I had not, up until that moment, even even, even in, in some fleeting way, considered the possibility of going into pastoral work. So really, uh, and, and to be honest, I had no higher motivation to say yes to that than I, I needed work. I had graduated with a master's degree and wasn't finding work in my chosen field and was running out of money quickly. And my wife was, was growing impatient with me. So 
so, you know, I mean, this sort of ambush by God uh, through, through this small church in the interior of BC, uh, who really just didn't have the money. I mean, now looking back on it, they, they, they had very little money set aside for an associate pastor. So I think they were just scraping, you know, whatever, wherever the bottom of the barrel was and they'd been turned down a few times. So, you know, really I just kind of plucked out of this obscurity into out of and into obscurity. But, but when I look back, I think the, the set of circumstances around my entering the pastoral ministry, bad motives, no training, no preparation, uh, a church in desperation. Th- that just seems to, you know, add up to God, God's wonderful wry sense of humor. Wow. Yeah, no, that's really good. I was introduced to your work, Mark, uh, back, well, primarily, I think, back when I first became a youth pastor uh, in the early 2010s. And, uh, and at Youth Pastors Retreat, uh, at one point, uh, I think your work uh, on spiritual rhythms came out um, because I was bombarded with it within the, the youth world. The vets of the day uh, were preaching it, basically, and, and using it as a text for, for healthy living as a, as a pastor in particular, because youth pastors have been notoriously known for not lasting very long in the ministry. Three years is a pretty good, pretty good run for a youth pastor. And so, uh, they, they started taking care of youth pastors in a spiritual way and a health way. And, and, uh, one your work was one of the ones they, they really emphasized on, on spiritual rhythms. And so, so I want to start by saying thank you for that and, uh, and, uh, helping me be healthy. I was a youth and associate pastor for, um, for like nine years, uh, in a small town in Vegreville. And so, um, I outlasted the three year mark at least. And so that was, that was enjoyable. Um, but I, I really want to talk about that idea of rhythm and in light of this past year, which I'm sure you've had met much conversation on, um, because I've worked really hard now, now that I've been in the ministry over 10 years, to make sure then I had these spiritual rhythms, whether it be weekly, daily, monthly, yearly rhythms in my life. And all my yearly rhythms were blown out of the water last year. All my, uh, right. not all my monthly rhythms, but a lot of my monthly rhythms were kind of blown out of the water, whether it was having my kids at home at certain parts and, and, uh, the timing of everything being messed up. So a lot of my, a lot of my practices of rhythms, um, were kind of, uh, they were out of sync, I would say at, at that this past year. Um, and so I wanted to hear from you, you know, you've written about the Sabbath and rest and, and, and the speed of the soul and spiritual rhythms. And I want to hear what advice would you give myself so it's selfishly have I'm selfishly having you on today, but but for for many of us who've been disrupted and now it's the new year, we want to start fresh. We want to get back into our our our, our spiritual walk or spiritual rhythms. What advice would you give me? Yeah, Brian, it's such a great question, and uh, obviously, you know, I I like you and like Jacqueline found this year a challenge because of that disruption. You know, um, our spiritual life is not so much feats and heroics, it's habits. Uh, that would be true of any life, of any life poorly lived or well lived. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cluster of habits. So a poorly lived life is a cluster of bad habits. Um, sleeping too much, watching too much something, drinking or eating too much something, and vice versa, that, that a, good, a good life 
whether it's a physically healthy or spiritually healthy is a, is a cluster of habits. And so, um, I, and I say that over against, and let me emphasize this notion of spirituality as uh, these, these heroic daring do actions where we are doing sort of magnificent things all the time. And though, uh, I, I, well, I would simply say the, the capacity for the magnificent is the accumulation of the ordinary. Like we simply do the same thing a lot. And then one day the crisis hits and we find out we have strength, tenacity, alacrity, clarity, whatever to deal with the crisis. So in a lot of ways, I think for, for uh, many of us, including me, the crisis of COVID revealed some habitual uh, deficiencies <laughs> that whatever our rhythms were, whatever these these habits that we had practiced, thinking that they were preparing us for the the big one, uh, some of them were, some of them weren't. And so I think if anything, coming into 2021 without uh, much clarity about what it will look like in the next five, six, eight, twelve months, whether the vaccine makes it a distant memory, whether the vaccine does grow to grow two heads in people, whether uh, mut mutant forms of, of uh, coronavirus sort of get hold and make it sort of a, a thing of nightmarish proportions, who knows? But I think that one thing is I would really highly commend an examiner a, a sitting down and saying, where was I disrupted? Where, where, where was I not? Where, 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 you know, where it turned out I was kind of born for this moment and my habits prepared me well for it. And where did they not? And so what, what maybe needs at this point a revisiting in terms of these rhythms in my life, both spiritual and physical and mental and all of those sorts of things. So more than anything, I would, uh, I always begin the new year with, you know, the Ignatian practice of an exam and this sort of looking through my life, sifting it and saying, where, where I, was I most alive? Did I feel most, you know, free and somehow, you know, running and playing in the fields of the Lord? And where did I feel utterly desolate that God had abandoned me and, you know, there's no hope or love mm -hmm. <laughs> in my existence? And then sort of noting patterns and then adjusting what I needed around these habits or rhythms to kind of heighten my sense of God's goodness and presence. Okay, well, there's lots to unpack in that one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I talked to, I, I never, Jacqueline, I never give short answers, I'm sorry. You can He's written for, 10 books. So. Okay, 10 books. <laughs> Holy, you know, um, I, yeah, I, I only wrote down three things because I just couldn't keep up. Um, so I love that statement. Capacity of magnificent is a combination of ordinary. Do I have that right? Right. Yeah, something that's, I, I can't remember, but something like that. Yeah, so, sort of the accumulation oh, of yes, the ordinary. The, I think I said. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, She's making notes. Yeah, I'm making notes. So, okay, so this is what's been coming up in our home a lot. And it just, it, it really just drives me kind of crazy. Is my husband is so disciplined. And I, I'm like, <laughs> I actually, I, I leaned over one night through the holidays before bed. And he goes, oh, I have to get up to read in the morning. I'm like, is there, like, can you just not be disciplined, like, for a day or two? And that's what he did. 
Did you feel easy? Yeah, he laughed. He laughed at me. He thought that was a hilarious (laughs) comment from me. And I'm like, I just, I, I think what that does is it spurs me on to pray to be more disciplined. But I gotta tell you, like, like he's just way off the charts for me. Um, But I think when we, when you're talking about 2020, and you talk about you know, the capacity of, ma- of magnificent, and then it all comes together in the ordinary. And I think that discipline of habit is what kept him steady. And he may have, you know, on the inside, he may have dealt with internal things that just him and God know about. But, but on the outside, that was his, I've always called him my steady Eddie, but I think that's because he's disciplined and he has those habits already in place so that when pandemic things come or crisis of whatever, he's got something solid to stand on. Does that make sense? Yeah, entirely, Jack. I mean, I wouldn't rule out in any person's, any individual's circumstances, first of all, temperament that that some people are more inclined to this kind of regimented life than others nor are are sort of nurturing uh what kind of home we grew up in is that was that demonstrated was it demonstrated in a winsome robust way or a controlling legalistic way etc etc um and then seasons of life are important that's partly the 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 whole riff of the book spiritual rhythm that you talked about brandon that a season of life where you're going through a transition or your kids are young or whatever are going to shape the kind of habits that we develop and rhythms we develop in that season. Mm-hmm. Having said all that, I, I really like Dallas Willard's definition of spiritual discipline or any discipline, but, but let's just talk about spiritual disciplines. Willard said that a spiritual discipline is doing through direct means or accomplishing through direct means what can't be accomplished through in, uh, indirect means. In, in other words, uh, no, no, sorry, I got that right. I think it was accomplishing through indirect means what can't be accomplished through direct means. So I can't be a, I can't climb Everest. I can't by direct means simply go and say, I'm going to climb Everest. And off I go to the Himalayas. I mean, partly travel restriction right now, but you know, I just I'm not physically, mentally, I don't have the skills, I don't have the equipment. I can't directly go climb Everest. If I had a goal to climb Everest, I would have to start by going out to the Kananaskis or something near where I live, and and and, and summoning small hills. <laughs> In, in getting training with ropes and et cetera, et cetera. So I'd have to do by a series of indirect means, I'm not climbing Everest, but I'm learning how to use ropes, et cetera, to the point where I then could accomplish this great goal. And so again, it's Willard saying it's accomplishing through indirect means what can't be done through direct means. So let's talk about the spiritual. Um, I can't be a saint. I just simply can't get up tomorrow and say, okay, my, I'm, I'm going to be a saint. I'm going to be saintly in my thoughts, saintly in my actions, saintly in my, my dispositions. What I can do is I can say, well, I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to get up maybe 15 minutes early and I'm going to read scripture or I'm going to 
listen to scripture read over me or something. And I'm going to accumulate this toward with a number of other habits toward um, one day, maybe turning around and saying, Oh my goodness, I just, I acted in a saintly way <laughs> right now. And that kind of snuck up on me through this slow accumulation. So I would just say, you know, your husband, that didn't appear in a vacuum. He didn't sort of one day go from, from boorish slob to this highly disciplined person who, who on holidays sets the alarm or whatever to get up to, to read. That is a, you know, long obedience in the same direction. That's a slow cook. Yeah, I'll tell him that. I'll, I'll let him know, Mark, that he's a slow cook. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to love that I brought him into the podcast and he's not even here. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, nothing nothing like uh, people being dragged down against their will. So oh, we're covered under, you know, marriage law. That's okay. He helped produce it anyway. Whether That's our listeners right. know that or not, he helps produce it anyway. It's so true. It's yeah. so true. Um, Brandon, you and I both have lots of questions. Um, I, I, I have a couple more, but do you have any more? Well, one of my questions that I had was, um, in the midst of creating a rhythm, and creating rhythms is there a difference between a rhythm and the, like creating balance like balance is more of a common common type of language i think you need to have balance in your life um even in the spiritual world you know maybe not necessarily maybe in the christian world but especially in just the spiritual world in general balance is a pretty uh, key term is there a difference between rhythm and balance in our lives yeah very much and in fact i would uh, urge listeners to abandon even the quest for balance I think it's one of the things that's messed our heads up a lot because, I mean, I, I hear it all the time and sometimes out of my own mouth, I'm looking for more balance between my life and work and friends and exercise and rest, et cetera. But um, it's, it's, it's I, I, in the book, Spiritualism, I think I call it a unicorn. It's a beautiful idea that doesn't exist. And when you think about it, um, any season of your life. I mean, there's maybe, you know, for, for half a day, you, you accomplish balance where everything seemed to be proportionally kind of well uh, adjusted in, in relationship to everything else, but then something inter, you know, something intruded, something disrupted and you, you fell off balance. It's simple, similar. If I were to sort of stand on my tiptoes right now and kind of, you know, do the crane thing like in karate kid or something um you know i could hold it for five seconds but i'm very precarious and uh i i'm going to sort of I'm, I'm easy to throw off off balance there's a sense where these things it's 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 even if you can achieve it it's very momentary and it's very fragile mm -hmm. Whereas rhythm is the idea of dynamic balance, actually. So if you're on a bike or you're on a kayak going down rapids or going down a, a steep, uh, you're on your bike going down a steep road with curves, you have balance, but it's dynamic balance. It's actually rhythm where you're leaning into your curves and it's, a, it, it's actually a, a balance then is a, uh, in proportion or, or it's a factor of speed the faster you go the more you can lean and the slower you go the more you have to stay upright and so i think to to, to dispense or throw out the idea of balance in your life in the sense of and, and instead put in place rhythm 
which is I'm in this season of life where this is what's going on for me at, right at this moment. Uh, this is the speed I have to travel at. This is the route I have to navigate. What is the best rhythm for that that will maximize, optimize my effectiveness and my enjoyment of this thing? So just by way of example, if you, if you have young children, that's a very different space world that you're navigating for somebody who's doesn't have kids either they're, they're they've never had them or they're not at that age or they're, they're they had them and they're all grown uh you're just navigating a very very different space and there's a different speed to it and there's different demands on it there's no balance in it there's simply a rhythm through it and so i would um i, I really urge strongly to let's stop messing with our own heads and in, in, in promising ourselves something that can't be had this myth of balance and instead saying what's what, what season me and what's rhythm to get through this as joyfully and effectively as possible i think what that does too for me is it releases a lot of shame um from oh i'm not doing what i should versus you know creating that creating a rhythm that it's just those expectations the idea that i need to be spinning 10 plates at once. Um, I think that really prepared me. So I have young kids and prepared me that, okay, I, I need to really set my expectations for the day and what will actually be accomplished. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm just wrapping up my uh, week of vacation, pandemic vacation and, uh, and what, what got accomplished, right? Like, or what, what type of rest did I have? And, and mm. the, the expectation of that's very different than, than say back when I was, you know, 23 and had, had no children yet and, and could uh, do various things. Um, yeah. And I think that that really helped, helps me, I think, to navigate through these days. That's really good. I, I mean, another way I think about it is what I'm going to, am I right now in this day or this week or this season going to be excellent at, because I can't be excellent at everything. Yeah, Exactly. Right. So I, I can't be excellent at my job and at my family at my friendships and at my, uh, you know, my my sidelines, you know, my writing. And so in a lot of ways, we're, we're, we're constantly negotiating between those things that we're going to be excellent in. And quite frankly, the things we, we can accept mediocrity at right now. But a deeper question around that. And I think all of us do that intuitively. We cheat on something. We cheat a little bit on our work or we cheat a little bit on our family in the sense of not giving them the best. But I, I, a deeper question is what, what are the things I, that if I'm excellent in those, I have a heightened chance likelihood of being excellent in other things. Hmm. So I think if you cheat on your spiritual life, you're going to be damaging a lot of other things. I think actually if you cheat on, time with your family, significant time and investment in your family, you can justify that, say, on the on the basis of I, I really, it's a busy season at work, but at some point, everything gets cheated. <laughs> mm. So I think there's some, some sort of root excellencies, some things that we should always say, um, unless so, some life circumstances are so disruptive, I, I'm going through a um, you know, some health crisis or something that I really can't attend to those things like I would like to. I think in almost all other circumstances, we say I'm going to be always excellent at that. 
because that's going to be generative of number of other excellencies. But otherwise, I would say you're, I, I mean, I think that just being realistic, we cannot be 100% at everything all the time. So maybe three things. I don't know, maybe two. <laughs> where, where were you exactly when my kids were small? Uh, you know what? I, I love that. I love that, Mark. I think we need to hear more about that, that we cannot achieve excellence. We can't achieve perfection. That's not what we're made. We can, we can work towards always being better and improving. Yeah, have aspiration. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I, I remember when the kids were small and they were doing things and going places. And I, I, I remember talking with other moms and I'm like, yeah, if you think you can do it all, that's great. But something's got to give. Something yeah. somewhere it, has to give. Jacqueline, I, I almost think it's it's a kind of a spiritual malpractice to tell people that they can be excellent at everything all the time because it's creating enormous anxiety and guilt for people. And and they're cheating anyhow. They're 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 fudging on it anyhow. But uh, but they're and it's also turned us there, therefore into kind of a, a a generation of liars that we have to claim you know, so joy and vitality and accomplishment in areas that we're just not. And so I, so I used to actually say when I was a, a lead pastor, I would say to the staff, uh, choose the two or three things that you can really, you know, you can get 90% or better on in this season and other things that are also on your job description, if you can let them coast for a bit, if you can be kind of like, I don't know, C minus on them, but get them done, that'd be great. And it gave them a ton of, of kind of liberty to, to kind of accomplish those things that were necessary in the season and not feel this inordinate guilt or they had to lie you know, in, their, in their monthly report or whatever about stuff. Um, and, and so it was just it's just more realistic. I'm not saying that we sort of, uh, create a culture of slacking off or anything like that. But it, it, we just cannot, you know, we just don't have the capacity for that excellence. And we've created a culture where there's, we expect it. And therefore, as I say, we're, we're creating really anxious people and often on, on um, untruthful people about what's going on in their lives. Well, how free and freeing is this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that, uh, I, I, you know, cause a good pastor will tell you that you can never achieve perfection, but you've gone even further mm. in explaining it in a more layman's term for us. You know, the one line, back at your biography, I really like this line. You say, I am a worshiper in spirit and in truth, a man after God's own heart and the chief of sinners. And I really mm. like that you put that in there because, mm. yeah, we're just, at the end of the day, we're just all sinners. It just is what it is. Yeah, and I, and I you know, one of the things I think that's wearisome, certainly to people who are not a Christ followers, but I think even to Christ followers, we find it wearisome, this, this claiming too much about our, our encounter with God, our spiritual practice, it's a real thing, God. <laughs> God, God, the reality of God, um, the the transformation He brings. It's also a slow thing, and uh, and and it's it's uh, any of us 
can attest, no matter how far we are in the journey, that we wish we were further in just about every area. Yeah. <laughs> we wish we didn't get as angry as we still did and as, as cynical as we still did. And we didn't have that voice in our head that's, you know, nagging or critical or, or judgy or whatever. And so I think, uh, you know, an honesty about that, not an indulging of it, but an honesty about that is also a necessary condition to this ongoing life of, of being formed and conformed to Christ. Think about the parable in Luke 18, two men went up to the temple to pray and a Pharisee and a tax collector, the Pharisee brags about all the stuff he does, which I, I'm sure is a true list, the real inventory of all of his spiritual practices and whatnot. He just doesn't, if, you know, he neglects to mention that he's also an angry person or, um, you know, um, uh, you know, constantly sort of attentive to the gossip in the community, whatever, where the other, you know, the tax collector beats his brass, can't look up, confesses his sinfulness. And Jesus comment is that's the guy God works with that guy who's honest about himself. He's not praising the man for, he is probably this tax collector, um, you know, a person who needs a lot of work, yeah. <laughs> but that's a person that God will work with somebody who will bring them their true self into the, into his presence. That's great. Yeah. I want to point to one more, one more of your works and it's your, one of your most recent ones. Uh, you, you have shifted gears a little to be in the, in a fiction world and I've written, I've begun the trilogy. Maybe you're already written it all and you're just releasing it year after year. I'm not sure, but um, you're writing on David and the life of David and you're doing a bunch of academic research around the text and then writing into it essentially. But um, how, how does David, and this is a generational question for a generational podcast. How does gener how does David span generations and speak into ours today? Well, first of all, I mean it's it's an extraordinary biography biblically of a life lived from you know he shows up on the scene when he's probably about fifteen or sixteen, and our last glimpse is this wheezing, you know. Um, withered up old man dying as you know the the, the the kind of vultures circle around him at 70. so we don't have a port we don't have any other portrait like it in scripture of that that longevity that length of life and from this and we see the characterization in scripture itself we see this this cocky naive young man and to be honest this somewhat cynical um, but very shrewd old man. And so the, the scriptures have taken, you know, the artistry of that to document the changes in uh, personality and in, and, and in character formation, both good and ill over this, you know, 60, nearly 60 years that it's, that is documenting. That's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And I think if nothing else could set up an, a, a very rich conversation between um, people of various generations about, you know, what kind of changes, what kind of David demonstrates all that's beautiful and all that's kind of uh, uh, objectionable in youth. He's, he's incredibly kind of got this courage, this bravery, this God and me can do it, but he's also cocky as all get out <laughs> mm -hmm. and he's got a hubris and uh, he, he, if he knows he's ticking off Saul, um, 
you know, it seems like he's just kind of like, you know, going the extra mile, get the 204 skins rather than the hundred ordered up just to gall him. Right. Like, yeah. so there's a sense like he's, he's the worst youth pastor you could ever imagine because he can <laughs> preach better than the senior guy. And he kind of rubs the nose of the senior guy in it. Right. Yeah. But you know, uh, so this whole sort of story, and then and then he's in some ways developed, uh, d demonstrates the worst and the best of an old man. Uh, this sense of this returning to some some really deep, rich faith in, in in the Lord near the end of his life, but also this this calculating, this this guy who's just kind of working the angles and and calling down curses on his his old enemies that he's forgiven years before and whatnot. So this kind of embitterment that can be the, the mark of an old man or an old woman. So that alone is, mm. is I think, just and the honesty of the scripture portraying yeah. uh, this man in all of his beauties and in all of his ugliness, those things that we applaud and want to imitate, those things that we deplore and take take heed, you know, take warning from, all there, nothing hidden. So I, I think a, that conversation alone would would be rich and speaks to that, uh, you know, that across the generations. Yeah, that's so good. Even as a, like, I don't think I've ever really thought about it like that. So even as a preacher myself, like being someone who can, yeah, I could take the text from when he was a youth and, and speak to, to youth or, um, you know, speak about his, his failures with Bathsheba and, and speak to, to marry men and women, right? And, and then all the way to the end, right? Like, it's like, that's pretty profound in, in the text that I think is, yeah, like yeah, you said, so it, unique. Here's a couple of things. You know, the, the Bathsheba thing, uh, we can probably, it's probably middle-aged crisis stuff. He's likely around 40, 45 years age. So all that sort of taught, you know, muscularity of his, of his youth is, is turning a little bit sort of uh, uh, soft and, but we can also biblically we can locate that um, in a humiliation. So we know the text begins when he messes up with Bathsheba in spring when kings went out to war. What we often don't notice is that the very end of Second Samuel, Second uh, Samuel in the is a, is a four chapters of miscellany. It's just kind of odds and sods. These stories of David and doing this, David doing that. Um, but one of those stories is when he's fighting a small giant, Ishbi Banab, and he's getting David's getting his backside kicked. He's older, he's not he's he's lost his agility and strength in the field. And this this, this small mm -hmm. giant is really cutting him up. And Abishai comes, the nephew of David, and rescues him. And then the men explicitly say to David, "You can't come to war with us anymore." Uh, so if we're looking to locate mm. that beginning of the Bathsheba story, when kings go to war, he didn't go out, is probably rooted in an, a humiliation where this guy, this legendary giant killer, can't even kill a small giant, needs to be rescued. And so what happens when in middle age we're humiliated, the things we once were able to do, we now, you know, we think we still have it, but we don't. Yeah. Well, 
the, the psychological need is then to prove ourselves in some way. And this is well documented. And I've felt in, you know, I'm now older than middle age, but I felt in my middle age that need. Now I, now that I can't do that, I have to do this instead. And so all of that does preach or it does speak into the generation. The other thing I would note about the Davis story is if you look at uh, David j- j- virtually, as, aside from Jonathan, is friendless throughout his life. Yeah. And in his young, uh, when he's young, it seems like he doesn't need anybody. When he's middle-aged, he's, it seems like he can't trust anybody um, or he can't, he can't find anybody after Jonathan dies. It's, it seems like he's got all these you know, ruffians out in the desert with him, but, but he, he can't really find somebody with whom he can share the inmost of. And then when he's old, he can't trust anybody. And so there's, there's a sense of that's a conversation about what does friendship look like in any age? And, only, and David has this, this friendship in his youth that for, uh, it's very short-lived. So I, I've had lots of conversations with pastors at all you know, stages of the generational span around that friendship piece and it's pretty pretty telling depending on you know what age a person is at but i think that 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 tends to map over um when we're young we think we don't need anybody yeah. when we're middle age we often can't find anybody when we're old it's it's often hard to trust anybody Wow, that sounds like a whole other podcast episode right there. I know. So I'm thinking, okay, let's. We just don't have time to unpack that, but that would be well worth unpacking because that really speaks to both of our generations and the one coming up behind yeah. us. And I think that's so accurate. I think that's really, um, I think that's really good, you know, not being able to trust and then there's nobody to trust. And then where are we at? Then we got nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I I think our time is almost gone. I mean, I, I would love to, I can't believe we actually got so much time with you, Mark, because it's just such a treat. Um, we usually ask the question, our podcast is about generational differences and how would you bridge the generation? And I feel like we just answered it through talking about your book, David. And so I want to ask the question, why do you always sign off with shalom? <laughs> yeah, shalom is a Hebrew word for peace, but it means so much more than that. It means the, the wholeness of, of God's presence, God's blessing. And really, it's, it's what I want in my own life. I want to receive it. I want to, to be a, a agent of it. I want to give it to others, this wholeness of the presence of God and the blessing of God. So that's why um, it's a place I want to live. I want to live in and from Shalom and I want to be a recipient and I want to be an agent of it. Okay. You've been asked that question before. I can tell. No, I, I haven't asked you. <laughs> I, I, I like it. I, I knew it meant peace but the whole other component of the wholeness Mm. and God's blessing and wanting to give that to somebody else. I think, I think that's really cool. I think that's a great way to to end our time. Yeah. Mark, where could we point our listeners to find your works and uh, if they want to read more? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, my books are available on all internet sellers, but uh, I also have a website, markbuchanan.net, where uh, it's, I've got a blog and a bit more information, uh, including uh, um, some of the ministry stuff I'm up to when I'm not doing my day job. So we, my wife and I have a, a ministry that we're just beginning it builds on things we've been doing for years with um, the ministries with indigenous women and it's called new story community. And so our listeners can find out more if they go into my website, artbuchanan.net. So, and you'll see the back of a bike. So just, you know, bringing it full circle, the first part of your biography and Brandon knows I was going to bring this up. It says, I'm a writer and a professor. I'm a fisherman and a scuba diver. I love dark, rich coffee and low rider motorcycles. So there, like, really, you had me at that. But uh, <laughs> I was like, there's a picture of a motorcycle, and I'm pretty sure that's you on it. Yeah. Black. It's got a leather, leather black uh, jacket. Yeah. yeah, that's me. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, Mark, this has just been so enlightening and encouraging and just a really great podcast to start 2021. What a pleasure for me to be on. Thank you so much, both of you. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Okay. So shalom to you. And shalom. Hey, we're trying to build each other up, not ignore each other here on Only We Matter podcast with Brandon and Jacqueline. Thanks for listening. Hit the subscribe button and keep the conversation going. <laughs>